Good afternoon, Ben. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm a guy with a camera here. If you die, can I have your car? Sweet. <laughs> Curious ramblings. <laughs> hey, everyone. This is Ben. Just a bit of a pre-warning for this week's episode. We had, surprise, surprise, sound issues again. Uh, I think Albert was trying out his new vibrating panties or something, and we had some interference with the recording. So you'll probably notice a few odd sounds throughout the episode. Hopefully it's not too distracting for you and you can still enjoy the episode as much as Albert enjoyed his new panties. But we apologise and we will speak to you next week. Bye. Curious ramblings. <laughs> so, good afternoon, Ben. Good afternoon, Albert. Wow, look at, look at that. Look at that. We've got, oh. new, we've got a new um, microphone. Uh, another new microphone. So... All up, this microphone has cost $200. <laughs> but it was on special. I went to office work today because I needed to get another microphone for our guest because last week was just terrible quality, yeah. I thought. Um, but to do that, I also needed to get a USB hub station because I only had two USB ports for the laptop. And I saw this microphone, which was it was like a third of the price. It must be discontinued or something because it would have been one of the original ones I would have got to start with. But I was like, oh, we'll just go cheap. So in the end, it just ended up costing like... <laughs> Instead of the original $130 price tag, like $200. <laughs> That's always the case, isn't it? Yeah. You try and go cheap and then things break or things are bad quality. Yeah, like prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, how's your week? My week's been pretty good. Pretty quiet. I have a feeling we do this podcast every week and I think my life is quite boring. Yeah. The most interesting thing that I did this week is I got pretty deep into the whole artificial intelligence art. I've been sending you... You have been sending me, yeah, artificial dick pics. <laughs> sausage pics um so yeah been sending you quite a few pics the last few days pretty cool being a little bit obsessed you could say yeah um i had 10 messages from you this morning or something and, and instagram uh, messenger was like oh, what do we use whatsapp yeah. like do you want to ignore this conversation because i must have thought it was spam or something oh really i don't know yeah it was like yeah yes please um, get rid of this wow we're really arty she's viva uh, what are we doing? so we've got here Guatemalan beer called Del Centro. Oh, is it National Guatemalan Day or something? It is. Today? No, it's not. Oh, <laughs> but okay. I was in actually Dan's and I just saw this and I thought, this is too good to just walk past. And how often do you get to try Guatemalan beer? Actually, they're going to Guatemala. They've become very popular now, actually. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the beer is, yeah, Del Centro, as I said. Pretty cool label. Looks like some. Aztec type sun and stairs going into a I guess stairs going into the sun. It's not very bitter, is it? It's not bitter at all. It's a lager. It's a super easy drinking lager. The colour's very light, isn't it? It's very yeah. sort of golden straw. Almost. It's really good. I actually I might move to Guatemala now. It's that type of beer where I think it would go really that go well in the summer. Yeah, I think you're right. How much would a carton of the Guatemalan beer be? I think this is around 55 to 60. Okay, reasonable. Reasonable, yeah. 355 mil cans, okay. Yeah. Um, speaking of dick pics, did you see Tommy Lee Jones' <laughs> Instagram photo? No. Oh, okay. I thought you would have screenshotted it. I've got, yeah, so just on the AI artwork, um, yes. just to go back to that, because I've been obsessed. Yeah, so you go, you talk about penis. <laughs> artwork, it definitely doesn't replace someone drawing, I have to say that, and but for people who can't draw, it makes it quite interesting. So yeah, and I sent you one Darth Vader 
holding a cake. <laughs> I like it. Now, I've got something. I've got an issue with you, Ben. Okay. Last week we touched on cricket a little bit. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question. What is your favourite sport? It probably would be AFL. I think. I sleep this night thinking about this. Do you? So five days of cricket, just sitting there watching an entire day of cricket. But don't you reckon the Test match crickets where they have the most memorable games? No, you think about Shane Warne. Like, remember that Test match where they played for five days and they drew? Oh, so good. <laughs> I'd have to disagree with you. Really? There's so many memorable Test match cricket games and comebacks. But I think one day cricket is the sweet spot for me. I think you've lost your way. You think I'm so? I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. I think you're going down a path that you uh, shouldn't be proud of. Right. Well, <laughs> that's many paths. But So what's your favourite sport? Is it cricket? Ah, uh, cricket. Yeah. Favourite team sport would team be cricket. Sport. Yeah. What, do you have a favourite individual sport? Oh, I guess if someone says, what's your favourite sport, people might say surfing or skateboarding, but talking about professional and team sports, I would say cricket. Okay. Fair enough. I've been hearing a bit more about this LIV golf of late. Oh, have you? Finally. Just a little bit. Well, Third time lucky. Just a little bit. I haven't like, looked into <laughs> um, A couple of weeks ago... I spoke about aliens and UFOs. Did you actually listen to Bob Lazar podcast? I did, yeah. Thoughts? I don't know. He just seems... I just felt like I could sense some holes in his story. And, yeah. and then he said he had a migraine. but And he used, and he was like using that as... It felt like an excuse when he couldn't really validate or, or explain something. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, sorry, it's his darn migraine. Yeah. But then for the rest of the podcast, he was just rattling off facts. Like, oh, this, and saw this on this day. And then yeah. other times when he asked me more specifics, like, oh, I can't remember. So it was just sort of... It felt a little bit inconsistent okay. for me, okay. and I'd like to see the documentary to see a bit more about the story. Yeah. But you're, you're hooked, over. I think so, yeah. I think he's telling the, the truth, because I believe the way he was talking, his story hasn't really changed over the years, yeah. and he wasn't claiming to know any other things, like when Joe Rogan asked him particular questions, if he didn't know, he would just say, I don't know, or he wasn't really into aliens, he just he's into the technology. Yeah. I just felt he came across quite believable, mm. and the stuff he was saying, I thought it sort of made sense. He I feel sorry for him a bit, though. Because his life's been sort of torn apart. Well, he was only there for six months, mm. and then obviously, because he was having issues at home, or his wife oh, was sorry, his wife cheating, cheating on him. Yeah. Well, apparently, according to the, te- uh, the transcripts, they could have yeah. just written those up. So, she was cheating on him. Oh, mm-hmm. our next guest is here. So, welcome back, Nero. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Back by popular demand as well. Yeah. Oh, well, we, had a, we had quite a few comments about your podcast when we spoke about uh, cricket. Even people who don't like cricket hmm. said they really enjoyed it. Yeah. That's so great. That was, um, that was great because I can imagine your podcast is very heavy on cricket for about 45 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't like cricket, then usually you sort of switch off. But yeah, it was just so interesting. Good. Great. I'm glad. So happy to have you here now talking a little bit about more about Frio. Yeah. Your beloved Fremantle? Yes. And, you know, I come at sport as a person who's not an, a- an athlete at all. I have I played hardly any sport. I played netball as a kid. So my love of sport comes from what sport can be for people, that it can be about mental health, it can be about community connection, mm. it can be learning leadership. So I love the fact that people who don't normally follow the game or necessarily think the game has a lot to offer might find conversation about sport interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, marketers like you mm-hmm. and I. True, true. Who like to see what we can do with a great brand. Sport's a great place to do that. So yeah, mm-hmm. some interesting things. Interesting. So hopefully not too heavy on the sport side of sport. <laughs> true. 
on the Fremantle uh, side. On the Fremantle side. <laughs> Too heavy on the Fremantle side, yeah. But you, um, when you started at Fremantle, that was about five or six years of them being in the competition. Was that oh, right? You're better than me. Yes, that would probably so be right. When did they start? Was it 95, Rio, or 96? I'm not sure. 95. 95 sounds about right. 95, 96. We have to look it up. What, what, uh, what was it like when you started at Freer, like the, the culture when you started at a place, I guess a brand, a pretty new club? Yeah, um, I had been living and working on the East Coast, so I hadn't been around to pay a lot of attention to what had been going on at Fremantle, um, and I, w- I had stepped out of working in sport, uh, and my father was ill, so I had lots of things on, I wasn't paying that much attention. Came back to Perth and found that uh, Frio was really, I would describe it as a young club that wanted to be so much more than it was then. Andrew Demetrio was CEO of the AFL. He just described the club as a basket case and he was trying to kick them out. He had decided that really they were so far below the standard of what the AFL expected Mm -hmm. that they just wouldn't be able to close the gap. And it was a big experiment to go from a one-team town Mm -hmm. with West Coast being so incredibly successful, corporate got behind it, you know, it just just ticked every box for the AFL. They were under pressure to spread the game around the country. Mm -hmm. They succumbed to the idea of putting two licences in Perth and then, oh Lord, the market didn't seem to support that and this other team was going to drag the competition down and be this pathetic little, couldn't win any games, had these horrible colours, just did not fit the traditions of the game. You know, compare what we, what Fremantle was then to a Collingwood or to a Melbourne with all these traditions and, mm-hmm. and a classic following. Um, and so I arrived then. So Cameron Schwab was at the helm. He had been appointed a year before. Mm-hmm. I think that was a masterstroke to bring Cameron in because he came with AFL heritage. He was the only part of Fremantle that actually had been around the game for a long time, really. Everything else about the club was new and learning. And I mean, there were some players like Peter Bell, obviously, who had great football on-field skills. But on the off-field side, Cameron's family was absolute AFL royalty with his father, Alan Schwab, being a a giant of the game. And then Cam had been the youngest ever AFL CEO at Richmond following in his father's footsteps, and then he'd gone to Melbourne, then he got kicked out of Melbourne. I don't know if you you guys are probably too young to remember that. There was a big stoush with the... Yeah. Um, And so then people thought, well, that was it. Cam's career was dead. And then they brought him over to Fremantle, possibly because at the time no one else wanted the job. I don't know. I wasn't around then. But um, he'd been there for a year, and he'd reorganised the football department. He'd brought in Chris Connolly. Um, and then he was starting to rebuild the rest of the business. And that's when he decided he wanted a commercial operations manager. At that stage, they had a marketing department. They had um, a membership area. They weren't all under one person. And he wanted to bring it in under a single person and say, we need to do that better. Yep. So for all of his football background, Cameron was a natural marketer. And he really, he's a very creative person. He draws magnificently. You should look him up on Instagram. His mm-hmm. drawings still are beautiful. Really? And okay. he's um, a coach, an executive coach these days. Mm-hmm. So he was all about strategy and leadership, but also a very creative mindset. So the brand was very important to him. And he understood, well, he was an ultimate football fan in himself. You know, he, he uh, I read something on his um, post this week about, his connection with the game as a child, particularly through his father. 
so he grew up as an ultimate footy fan and he knew that Fremantle needed to ignite or find passion. that passion, that fan, that we had to, that a club is about more than what the team does on the field. It has to be the people that care about what the club does on the field. Yeah. So he wanted to bring in this commercial team that would take advantage of the opportunities that he could see. Uh, and so I came over and um, somebody put me forward. I came and did an interview, was lucky enough to get the job. Now at that stage they had, um, as I said, these different departments. Everybody resigned except one, one or two, I think. And in hindsight, it was probably because the way that the club had been run before was pretty dodgy. You know, there were just deals happening and people yeah. giving people benefits and it, it was not um, perhaps something that they were proud of. And mm -hmm. so they ran away to do other things. Um, there was an amazing woman, Meredith Eddington, who had been running the membership department. She stayed for a while and then eventually decided that she would move on. Um, but she had created an amazing foundation of really loyal members and set up the Harbour Masters and some things that were great about the club. Beyond that, the sales department and the other areas were just pretty empty. So over my time there, I hired a team of 27 and we set up the six commercial units that are still pretty much the infrastructure of, of what they do now. So we had the membership department, which mm -hmm. didn't have very many members in it, but okay, we had to turn that around. We had the sponsorship department, which had nothing in it. That was one of the problems. Yeah. Um, sales, didn't really have any sales, didn't have any corporate backing. Events, membership, um, merchandise, mm -hmm. which again was pretty low, and then commercial development, which is now such a standard thing for a footy club to have. But again, Cam is smart enough to say, we need that game development side. So I look back at it then and we arrived, so I arrived to a really blank canvas, yep. none of that there, and just a will and a desire to go on and do great things. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I learned was that one of Cam's great strengths that I could draw on was his storytelling. He could wrap you up in a story about the AFL that would suit any audience. So whenever I had to go and do a big pitch, me not being a football person, me talking about the footballness of the club was crazy. Yep. I would take Cam with me. He was good enough as a CEO to do that. And he would tell people the stories of the game as he knew it, but also his vision for Fremantle and how we were going to turn the club around and talk all about those things that for a lot of people, really a lot of sponsors still, yep. particularly in those days being pretty much male, wanted yep. to talk about football yep. and who was going to play this week and did we think we could win and all the gossip of what was going on behind the scenes. He was that for me. So, you know, the culture was we had very few assets. Yeah. We had to make everything we could of the ones we had, like Cam. And fingers crossed, let's go and see what we could do. Trying time. That's interesting. And um, was there any with being the second club? So you, you said West Coast were quite successful. Or they've been a pretty successful club. Hugely successful. Were there any sort of crossovers, um, working together or getting getting tips from them or, you know, I guess with employees, Perth's a small town, I would assume mm. there was some crossover and people working the West Coast, possibly then working at Dockers and just even with the Waffle. Were, were there any things that sort of were learnt from West Coast or did they help Fremantle out at all back then? Sadly, no. We were um, that other team okay. and they had a very clear mindset of being anti us. And I think we returned the favour by being anti them. You know, and the fan base sort mm -hmm. of went, 
if you're a West Coast fan, you were you could barrack for anybody except Fremantle. I think yeah. they were perhaps a little more generous than our fans were in the early days of saying, well, West Coast is really the epitome of everything we want to be and we're not. And people keep reminding us about that all the time. So mm. we hate them because, yeah. you know, it's just that thing that hangs over us like a pressure. You're not as good as West Coast. You're not as good as West Coast. Yeah. So, no, it was, it was really hard in the town to knock on a door and say, I would like to talk football. Great, you with West Coast, no, with Dockers, uh. Uh-huh. You know, we were such a disappointment. Um, so, um, I know I kept talking about the Eagles, so apologies for that. No, no, it's fine. I think the rivalry yeah. between Fremantle and the Eagles yeah. was very good yeah. for Fremantle because we brought in a lot of staff who were not AFL people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Eagles... And Frio. And Frio, so I think the rivalry, and a rivalry. I think the rivalry between Fremantle and West Coast was very good for Fremantle. Yeah. We brought in a group of staff, so in the 27 staff that I brought in to work for me, most of them had no sports experience whatsoever. We mm. were not attracting. We couldn't pay for people who were experienced, or certainly sports experienced. We were bringing in... Uh, young, cheap, I'm just getting a start in my career and I'm prepared to have a go at anything, people. They didn't come with really any football heritage. Most of them had a passion for the game, probably had all grown up being Eagles fans. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to to get rid of this anti-us that was out there in the community. They were sick of knocking on doors and having people say, oh, you're a Fremantle, how awful for you. Wouldn't it be great if you were at West Coast? And so they, because they were young and hungry, they that competitiveness really helped and they were prepared to do whatever it would take we just we have to get better we have to help the club we have to help the players we have to do whatever it will take to to get out there and be better so i think that was a good thing Mm -hmm. from a marketing perspective i thought it was a great thing because west coast was so clearly defined as a thing and so as in a duopoly if you've got one brand that stands for something, then you've got to find the vacant space that is the opposite of everything that they stood for. So the Eagles were considered to be very highbrow. You know, you can say that nastily is that they were elitist and they were yep. exclusive and closed off, but really they were very successful. So everybody who had prestige or money or power gravitated toward the Eagles, which left the great unwashed, the, the football fans who were there and hiding their love of Fremantle, but didn't have a way to come out really. weren't weren't sure that it was a great thing to do for themselves to come out and say to people, "Hey, I'm a Dockers fan." Like being a Republican. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Probably. So we had we found this empty space. So they were exclusive. So we needed to be inclusive. The colours were yeah. already there, but the colours were a whole story in themselves. You know, when I joined Fremantle, we were red and green and yeah. white and a little bit of purple. Yeah. And so we just, we just didn't stand out as being, that's our club. So yeah. you've got the black and white of Collingwood and the black and gold of Richmond and Fremont, uh, Perth covered in the West Coast blue and gold yeah. and us trying to be four or five colours all at the same yeah. go. You know, again, just didn't work. So concentrating. Simplifying, yeah. doing the classic marketing thing, mm-hmm. simplifying it down to who are we and what do we stand for. So we became everybody's club. Yeah. We were an inclusive open door, transparent, come in, participate, engage, get involved. Now the lucky thing about that was, that's Cam's personality. Mm -hmm. He is an open, I want to talk to you, I want to engage with you, I am of the people of the game. And that he'd hired Chris Mm Conley. Chris Conley was the people's coach. Fantastic sense of humour, 
really great, intelligent, dry wit, yeah. loved talking to people, loved the game, had so much energy. He was just on football 24-7. So he was the walk, between the two of them, they were the walking, talking brand. So Cam could do the corporate side, um, Chris could do the corporate side too, but Chris was really great at just going to the fence at training and for the two or three or ten people that used to come to the early training sessions, going and leaning on the fence and saying, hi, who are you and do you love the game? And yeah. Tell me your football story. And he wanted to talk to them. And so then that became the basis for the brand to say, okay, then we need to accelerate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we formed, did things like created the purple yeah. and the message, do you have the passion? Now, that was done by the brand agency under the leadership of the great Steve Harris, who then later became club president. We were out trying to find an advertising agency. Didn't have one of those when I got there. We had the entire marketing budget for the year was, I think, $17,000 for everything. <laughs> yeah. For staff, for production, for printing, for... Wow. And that included everything that we needed to do on game days. So oh, wow. printing of tickets yeah. and membership paraphernalia and because the club was absolutely broke. Uh, And so we were out trying to find a marketing agency with this non-existent budget. And so I went after small agencies who would find our small amount of money somewhat tantalizing. And then lo and behold, the brand agency, the biggest agency in Perth then, still now, came at us. And they just decided they wanted to have us. And when we sat down with Steve to talk to him, he said that, they were doing some staff development and they wanted to, you know, advertising was a very stressful game. They wanted to do something that um, was nice for their staff and they discovered yeah. that their creatives were all Dockers fans. Okay. And so they thought, okay, well, if they could work on a brand that they loved, they would find that fun. So yeah. that would be the fun part of their job. So they'd do this pro bono thing and so they approached us. So they sent me a, what did they send me? They sent me the plastic seat like they'd gone to Fred, to Subiaco Oval and undrilled one of the plastic seats, yeah. they sent me a seat and said, let us help you get bums on seats. They sent um, Cameron a giant bra, the biggest bra you've ever seen. That was the first thing that came and it said, let us be your biggest supporter. We want to take <laughs> yeah. you on. And then we went and had a meeting with them and they sent us a, um, a bladder from inside a football with a message, something like, you know, we won't let you down, something like that. So we went and had a conversation with them and they said, we'd really like to do it. And so I said to Cameron, just sign. This is, this is incredible that these guys want to take us on. Let's do it. So we had some of the best creative minds available in the country to work on the brand. And they came in, we came up with this idea of, of going Purple Avenue. They yeah. came up with a passion and they pitched us the very first TVC. I think that... I reckon that was probably the fastest approval any advertising agency ever got for a TVC. They said, here's how it will go. Um, a guy is all dressed in his Fremantle gear, ready to go out. His magnificent looking wife comes towards him wearing nothing but a towel. Mm-hmm. She drops the towel and he says, I've got to go. And he goes to the football anyway. Uh-huh. And so the, the, the line was then, do you have the passion? Can, can you stand by the team that is going to lose that, that you're going to get ridiculed, ridiculed about, that is going to be the opposite of everything that this town knows about football teams. Yeah. Everything this town knows is about winning, being brilliant, making oodles of money. That's what a football club stands for. If you're the kind of fan who can love a club that's going to do the opposite of that, then you have the passion to be a Fremantle fan. Are you out there? Will you admit it? The television commercial was so sexy that it became 
a PR device. So the, the news headlines picked it up and said, can you believe a football club's doing this? You know, we had a phone call from the AFL. Are you sure that's a good idea? <laughs> but we pushed the envelope and we did that. And what we found was that we gave people who were already Fremantle fans an excuse to come out and say that they were Fremantle fans. For the first time, they were on the winning side. Yeah. Ours was the ad that people were talking about. Ours was a thing that was better than stuff that had been done anywhere around the country in the AFL. And they wanted to come out and say, yeah, that's my club, finally. <laughs> my club's doing something that I can laugh about or be proud of. Was that around the same time as they, Fremantle made the finals for the first time? Uh, it was a bit earlier than that. Oh, okay. yeah, not, yeah, yeah, not far okay. from there. So that was in my... Uh, so I started in October 2002. When did they make the finals? In we have to look it up. Albert. See, yeah, this um, is my non-football. We need, notes. A, we need a producer. Sure, but I do remember Chris <coughs> Connolly and um, Do You Have the Passion? Those campaigns. I remember that as sort of, as you said, Fremantle making their mark. Yeah, they really did. Yeah. And from there, I think they became more successful on field and off field. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. By June 2006, we'd gone from being the club that Andrew Demetrio was trying to kick out to being one of the top clubs in terms of um, all the different things they wanted. Brand awareness, yes, membership. money, membership, on-field performance. What or they are more. now is consistent. And yeah, that's okay. what they were lacking. They were consistently bad. They were consistently non-existent or vacant from the conversation, whereas they became consistent. So it says here that CAM started in September 2001 when the club had just completed its worst on-field season in its brief history, winning just two games. It had also posted a loss of $2.5 million for the 2001 financial season, with total losses of $5 million in three years. It had accumulated debt starting the 2000 season of over $8 million, and club membership was 23,898 members. Of those, only 12,000 were buying a seat to come to a game. So I remember when I started that it was costing us money to open the gates of Subiaco Oval to play our home games. It was costing us more to run the ground than we were getting in gross revenue from people who were buying tickets to attend the game. And that took into account the membership sales as well. So there's more than 50,000 fans now. Members. members, because Mem fans oh, are going beyond that sorry, again. Members, so Fifty thousand yeah, card-carrying members, yeah. card members. under the that. leadership of Cameron Schwab. Oh, it's a siren. The growth of the club has been remarkable. So this is again June two thousand six. The club is now debt-free. Became debt-free in February two thousand and five. It has over a million bucks in the bank. It's self-sufficient. It doesn't require any external support. It's delivered consistent profits of three million dollars in the last three years. <laughs> and it has a strong and stable business across all areas. Club membership is at record levels with over 35,000 members. Average home game attendances are now more than 36,000 a season. Growth of sponsorship and corporate sales has generated record levels. And on field, the playing group has been substantially developed and now achieved a 51% winning ratio since 2002, compared with 25% when Cam had got there. So, so your second year, they yeah. made the finals for the first time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in that year, so by then, when I got there, we made, I think, $17,000 we were turning over in merchandise when I arrived. And before I left, so I left just on about two years, we hit a million dollars gross a year. Wow. So the club went from having no money and therefore you would think... Welcome to Double. What's going on? Yeah. Is there been like another <laughs> like a shooting or something since? That's the poppers too, right? Yeah. Oh, it's 
really Apologies. good. Apologies. We've got rain, we've got wind, we've got police, we've got ambulance. Don't get any of this in June, lol. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for interrupting. That's all right. I forgot what I was talking about now. The million, the revenue there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we'd gone from having no money and in a sport where everything is about attracting the biggest and the best, if you don't have the money, you can't get the playing base. Mm. So any money the club had was going into players. So there was no money to do all of any of this other stuff. So uh, we had to work really, really hard to get ourselves to the point where the money started to make us enough money. And then you get to the point where the... It, it, it's enough of a, of a momentum is made that it can then just keep going forward and that's the sustainability. And then that financial sustainability is what allows you to play with your, your player, your salary cap and so on. You know you're going to have those funds. You know you're going to be able to have great marketing of the club and other things. All of that contributes to the great players being attracted to the club and wanting to come and work with you and you being a brand that they're going to be proud to play for. So all of that stuff that you need has to start somewhere. And then you look at the fact that there's debt. There's no money in the bank. There's debt. We've got um, nothing to grow from. And so I remember going to the board and saying, sitting down with the board, because that, in, you know, in those days, the board was very close to the club, a group of volunteers, but we were drawing on everybody's support to say, um, I need you to back me. What I want to do is I need to build a sales team of young, hungry people. Mm-hmm. We can't afford to pay them a lot, so we're going to pay them a minimum base salary, but for every dollar they bring in, we're going to commission them a big piece of it. And I will need to say to them when we hire them that hopefully they are so successful that that doesn't continue and that they go back to a more normal arrangement of having a better salary and less commission. But in the early days, if you go and do the hard work and you knock on the doors and you have those tough conversations, you can make a lot of money. So we had 20-year-olds taking home 100,000 bucks from knocking on door after door after door. And what it drove was a group of people who kept coming to me and saying, we've sold all of that, what else can you make? What else have you got? And so I was just creating products and saying, yeah. And so were they, they were coming and saying, we've got a great idea and let's do things like sit in the coach's box for a game. Can we sell that, can we sell that, can we sell 12 of those? Okay, can I have three and can this person have three? And it just bred this culture of, what else can we do? What else can we sell? And that came from the brand strategy of saying, other clubs don't let you in, we'll let you in. So what can we sell people? Because before we could win, we couldn't sell winning, we had to find something else to sell. So we sold accessibility. We sold things like, um, come, come and have your name on a player locker. Now other clubs would say, that's just, that's heritage. You know, that's, that's priceless. The players that have played for your club will look back decades from now that they've got their, lock, their name still on the locker. Why on earth would you let a fan go on there? So we didn't put them there permanently, but we said, this season you can adopt a player and there'll be their name and then your name. You know, odd things like that that our fans were happy to get involved and pay for. And little bit by little bit, the little bits of money came in. Then the purple, that was another key piece of it. Yeah. I remember I flew over to AFL headquarters for a merchandising conference and sat down with the great Alex Sashenko, who was the head of merchandise for AFL in those days, and said, we're the Dockers, we're purple. We play in a two-team town against a team that's blue. All of our merchandise is blue. Why is our merchandise blue and not purple? And he said, well, you don't sell enough. So all of the people who make your apparel and your everything else, they take a standard base off the shelf and they add a bit of purple to it. And you know, blue's just one of those colors in football, there's a lot of teams. So our tracksuit was a blue tracksuit 
that they'd added like a stripe of purple yeah, in the yeah. arm and a stripe yeah. of purple somewhere else. So when I got there, I think it had purple pockets and a bit of purple in the arm, mm -hmm. but it was predominantly a blue tracksuit. So then you put that in a club shop and you say that's a Fremantle tracksuit. There's nothing very exciting as a Fremantle fan about wearing something that is more West Coast Eagle coloured than it is Fremantle coloured. It wasn't the perfect West Coast blue, but it was more West Coast than ours. Uh, and so then I had to stand there and fight with Alex and say, I can't sell it until you get the produce, the, the, those people who are creating our products mm -hmm. to do the right thing and give us purple product. And I've got a contract with you that says you're going to live up to my brand and my brand is purple. And if you give me blue, I'm going to scream blue murder about this until someone in the AFL will pay attention to me. I have to build this club. Mm -hmm. And that was just another one of those you're kidding yourself, you know, we're going to put them to all this work, they're going to lose a lot of money and da da da. And we pushed and pushed and pushed and got purple. And then we were playing at Fremantle Oval, we had our nice relatively new clubhouse that had been built downstairs was this lovely room where the players would relax, they'd go there, we had these volunteer ladies who made their lunch every day, and I said, I need to turn that space into a shop. Nope, nope, that's player territory, you know, that's their lounge, you can't do that. And I said, it's real estate and we need it to make money. And so we gutted it and turned it into a shop and started putting purple merchandise in a shop. And then people started turning up on training days. And while they were there, they'd pop into the shop and they'd buy stuff. And suddenly when you walked around Perth, you could see people wearing purple. And then that let other people be brave enough to think that they might wear purple. Yeah. And every little bit of it was building momentum. <laughs> momentum in fan numbers, momentum in money, momentum in conversation about the club. And all of those things contributed to uh, what's Fremantle going to do next and maybe I'll get involved and maybe I'll be brave enough to go to a game. And in the meantime, the most important thing of all, you've got Chris Connolly over there turning out players who could win. Yeah. And uh, I can remember Cameron, in my interview, Cameron said to me, uh, can you market a losing team? And I said, as a non-athletic person, my answer to that was, can you play football that's interesting enough that a fan can watch it? And he said, yeah, I think we can do that. And I said, then I don't care whether you win, but it's got to be an interesting enough game. But we had this conversation in my interview yeah. that was really strange, given yeah. that I didn't really know enough about the sport. Yeah. That was quite a disrespectful thing to say in hindsight. Yeah. And to someone who was so steeped in, in heritage, but he got it. That was us talking as marketers, yeah. that I didn't need to be the number one team but you had to give me a product that had something. Mm -hmm. So I won't rely on winning, but just don't give me dull. Mm -hmm. And so he and Chris built the on-field answer, which was this new band of players. So you had the Peter Bells with the heritage and the, yeah. the champion in them, and the David Mundys who came along in my day, who was this, you know, I remember he's this young, smiley, uh -huh. um, not particularly strong kid who mm -hmm. was, you know, dying to have a go and the Aaron Sandlands who came yeah. in at that stage, you know, they recruited well. Cam always had long-term vision. He was a long-term thinker. Uh, and he was brave enough to have a go and say, that might be good enough. We can do that now and it'll pay off in three years' time. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a go at that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we just made lots of brave decisions and off we went. It's amazing. Mundy's just retired, hasn't he, this year? He is just at the end of this season. This year, 19, 19 seasons? Yeah. 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 So it's like 60 now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sandman's played for a long time as well. Yeah. This is a lot for a rough for a big guy. And Peter Bell's back and Justin Longmuir's back. You know, they were playing. Peter Bell there. worked in the wine industry. I think so. Oh, I'm not too sure. I know that where I worked as a 
17-year-old in a bar, yeah. a restaurant, he owned part of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a lawyer oh, as yeah. well. He, he is oh, okay. an incredibly intelligent, interesting person. Yeah. A natural leader and driver of performance, but you know, quiet, um, do-as-I-do, um, role-modelling of behaviour, but actually a, a, an incredibly intelligent person, very grounded, very humble, very generous of spirit. He came to the club and brought all of that football credibility uh, at a time when we had this young playing group that was full of no-names and trying to get player sponsors in the early days, I can remember going to the football department saying, okay, so the sales team have found someone and they're prepared to buy a, we had different tiers of packages, you know, they can buy a player at this kind of price. And they was, Chris Connolly was another, you know, great get because he was also a natural marketer and he would say, okay, so tell me about the company, right, right, I will tell them, I can remember this one company, Luke McFarlane, who is a Nobody knows him right now. He's going to be a name player. He's going to end up being one of our senior players. So if they take him now and they stick with him, then he can build his loyalty to them. And then when he's more of a champion, they'll still be buying him at a lesser rate. Mm-hmm. And you know that'll pay off in the end to be a great deal for them. And they can say, we've been with Luke since the beginning. And it ended up being a beautiful story. But you know that was Chris, caring mm-hmm. enough to sit down with me and say, actually this is how it would work, rather than just, there's the players, you know, go sell them, do it, do what you can do. So the culture of the club was everybody needed to do anything to try to find a way forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Connolly was often in the open plan office area. He was often leaning over the open plan desk of the staff and saying, how's membership today? How, how are you guys going? What are people saying to you on the phone? Are you getting any tough calls? I know we didn't win on the weekend. That must be hard for you. Every Monday morning, we had an all-of-staff meeting. Chris would talk about the game. Cam would talk about the response to the game. We'd talk about the PR messages that were coming out of the game. And, okay, guys, so this is the kind of criticism we're going to get this week, and this is our response is going to be, and this is how we're going to handle it. And who wants to talk up about that? And people would say, I've got a really hard time. Our membership's already got all of these calls. And we would talk about that and say, okay, so how do we manage it? So it wasn't like, you know what, we're football we're losing we've got plenty to do can you people go over and run that part of the business it was no no I'm the coach I want to understand what's what are the corporates saying to you what are the sponsors saying and what do you need to say back to them okay okay well you know and and I'll try and say this in my messaging this week it was this all-in club effort and yet we were getting more and more specialized more and more professional to the point where we didn't have to rely on each other but it was part of the the foundation building I think that it was this just great young club effort of okay we're going to drive this thing not giving up it's got to be a way forward mm-hmm. big game this weekend yeah it is yeah. do you know it is I don't care it's an easy game it's, this weekend is it? you guys do you know, don't, don't ever say that don't ever say that but <laughs> the derby stands alone as being about more than what happens on the field I mean how many years did West Coast play Fremantle and it you know it was the other way that Fremantle was no chance of winning. Mm. West Coast was going to be the clear winner. And yet, those games were vicious on yeah, field and true. off field, ferocious <laughs> competitiveness. And the one in a million chance that Fremantle might actually win a quarter or have some standout thing or win the player of the game medal or something, the fans were hanging in for, give us something that we can say we did better than West Coast or that the mark of the game was a Dockers player. or Because any little crumb of success in that game was more important than anything we did against any other opponent all year round. And today will be that. It doesn't matter where we are on the ladder. It will be, when you look at today's game, 
where were the wins and the losses? Mm. And Perth people care about this game, or Dockers and Eagles fans care about this game more than any other game of the season. And it, it is like the grand final. Yeah. And so for that reason, the injuries were always higher. The players were always exhausted, more so the week after Derby than after tougher games, yeah. because they put everything they've got into that game. It just means so much. So it's like the Collingwood, Melbourne, and you know, the other traditional rivalries. So I am always very nervous around Derby Day, even though these days I'm so distanced from it. Yeah. Because I remember, you know, it just it's a, it's just tension, it's anxiety mm-hmm. today. And the tomorrow, the kudos of tomorrow, whichever way it goes, um, it's really well hard for one. And then it's so fleeting because you get two of those a year and the next one comes around so fast. But the, uh, who's, who's home game? It's Fremantle home game yeah. this yep. week. So that's, I think, why last week we said, why is Josh Kennedy retiring already? Yes. Yeah, he's thought not, about he's it. He's travelling. Yeah. He doesn't have to travel. Last yeah. time. Exactly. He's and played his last home game. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. they can't celebrate him today because the crowd in the ground is predominantly a Fremantle crowd. Yeah. So even yeah. though he's playing at the same venue, it's not his fans. Yeah. So the last time they got to celebrate him in front of West Coast members was last, last week. week. That's another big difference between WA people and East Coast people. On the East Coast, being a member mm-hmm. is so much different than being a fan and it counts so much more. Being a member, paying a fee, and actually belonging to the club, whether you buy a seat or not, being able to say, I am a member. Whereas in Perth, West Coast had members because very early on, the ground got to capacity. So the only way you were gonna get a seat is because you were a member, not a fan. And so that's great, that drove the West Coast membership base. Fremantle didn't have that problem. We had more seats than we had people by far. So being a fan was enough, which meant the club was getting no money from them, which meant we couldn't invest in the club. And so convincing people that there is a difference between putting your money where your mouth is and saying, I am of that club, this is my club. Whereas lots of people being fans of the game, it's great, you know, cricket has loads of fans. You don't need, there's not that, you don't belong to the Australian cricket team. You're a fan of the team. But in football, it is all about being members and fans. They're both important, they both have a role to play. But the clubs are the AFL tick the box sort of KPIs, um, membership's a big one, and it, obviously it helps a lot with revenue because you're getting all that money in typically the October of the year before the season. Yeah. So your cash flow, you get all of that seat money October of last year for this season, and then before this season is wrapping it up, you're already getting that money for next season. That's lovely from the bank account <laughs> point of view. So over here, there's lots of people who will say, I'm with the Dockers, and then you say, are you really? Are you a member? You know, well, I'm a fan. Yeah. So have you ever been an Eagles member? No. Mm. Ben, ever been a member of a club? Uh, no, it's almost impossible to get a membership for West Coast now. Mm. And we know... Og- well, maybe now's Oggy, a good time, actually. Still no. Oggy got a, fr- a Fremantle membership of one of our friends because he couldn't get a West Coast member. I think he wanted to be able to go see games, right? Yeah. Well, he might... Dispute that? He might dispute that. I thought that was the anyway, reason behind maybe, it. Yeah, yeah maybe. I, I've heard that before, that people yeah. couldn't get Eagles because you had to wait for so long. Yeah, so they... And when Fremantle the early 2000s were struggling they hadn't made the finals yet yeah that okay i'd like to see a game i'd like to see 10 11 games during the year yeah then i'll start going for Fremantle, or at least become a member so i can see games and yeah obviously that's an do you have the passion and then yeah. you won these people over well and the brand of football changed you know yeah. i mean at the end of the day it's a, it's a product about the what happens on the ground yeah so you've got to win you've got to play winning football first yeah. and then get yourself to the point where you can win and cameron and was under no illusion as the CEO, being as football yeah. intelligent as he was, as he is, 
no doubt that no matter what we did in a marketing sense, it didn't matter if the football wasn't there. So it was always, at the end of the day, about the football. They gave us the credibility that the stuff we were doing was valid, but we had to do that stuff to create the smoke and mirrors to get people around the club while they were turning that yeah. football on-field on performance around. So it was a, you know, some of that chicken and the egg stuff. But at the end of the day, you've got to win. Yeah, and Fremantle got to the point where it was winning enough games or winning well enough or playing well enough that you did want to go and sit in the stadium and be there and be part of the crowd um, because you just weren't going for that gut-wrenching, oh, I come to the ground, that's so embarrassing and I'm going home and I'm more depressed than when I got here. Do the fans now, stick oh. around more than West Coast fans? Because, you know, when West Coast, are, they all live at three-quarter time, right? You're not winning they all start to walk out. Is that just common amongst teams or do Fremantle are like, we're used to this, four quarters we paid for it, we're staying. Is that more so? I think, I think it's common. It's common with every club, so I just West so. Coast. I, I think if the team's getting flogged, yeah. they're down by more than 50 points at three quarter time, people tend to leave. Tend to bugger off. Try and avoid the traffic. Yeah, I don't know, you're saying like the Fremantle passion and stuff. Do you think? Stick do you think they stick around and witness a 100 point loss? I don't know. I think resilience is built into the Fremantle yeah. fan and the Fremantle member, so there's some of that. I think that certainly there have been seasons and seasons and seasons where that kind of a loss was so unusual for a West Coast that you could boycott a game. You could say, you know what, we're just having a bad day today, so I don't need to stay and watch this because next week we'll be back to brilliant, so I can come back and do it again then. Um, but I think it's got something to do with... I think it depends on the weather, how you got to the game, the public <laughs> yeah. transport. Like yeah. if, it's, if we go now, we can get on the train. So yeah. at, the, at the MCG, one of the amazing things to witness at the MCG is 100,000 people getting out of the ground in no time at all. Yeah. Because of the way that they shut the traffic down around it, public transport is on various sides of the ground and people know that the end of the game and you just disappear yeah. and off you go. And yeah. American baseball stadiums are built that way. Yeah. Whereas we were playing at um, Subiaco Oval, yeah. which just that wasn't was built with that in mind. So you yeah. were going, if we go now, yeah. it'll take us an hour less to get yeah. home. Yeah. You know, because the train, we're going to stand on the train platform for how long? Or walk to try to get a taxi because you're not going to get a taxi unless you go to the next suburb. Or someone's going to try and pick us up and it's going to take them an hour to get in and out. So if the score's lousy, you were like, yep, come and get me now. Because that was... So there's some, sometimes it's that. Yeah. Um, if you're in a corporate box because you've been oh, invited stay, and yeah. that's lovely, then you might not really care what's going on with no, football. You might hang in. Yeah. So I think it depends on a lot. But I give Fremantle fans great um, kudos for having the most resilience built in as a fan. You've got to be... Because even if we win, people can't help but remind you that it's only mm. how... Yeah. You know, we don't... We haven't won the grand final yet or... You know, all those lovely things we talk about all the time. On the day that Fremantle says, wow, look at us, the Eagles fans go, yeah, but you haven't got what we've got. So you've, you've, you've yeah. still got to be that resilient. It's true. Should we um, <clears throat> have a gin? Yes. Ben was yeah. nice enough to bring a gin over. Wow, thank you. That's okay. Ben, li ben likes I like gin. gin. Do you? Yeah, but... Um, Anything without alcohol you like? Anything about alcohol or without? With. Oh, with, absolutely, yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big gin fan. I was going to get the premix, Gordon's gin and tonic, Albert pointed out, but they've started putting a dash of lemon in there, oh. which is kind of poo, so I've got a bottle. I've never had Gordon's before. I don't know where it ranks on the gin scale. Pretty low, I'm assuming. Well, it's not a boutique gin. It's I mean, not. It's, I don't know that there's a bad gin. Oh, no, sorry, that's silly. Of course there are bad gins. Yeah. 
it's not that it's a bad gin. It's a very successful worldwide yeah, brand of right. gin. Yeah. So it's a good gin. <clears throat> but first of all, I'm going to ask you, where did your love of gin come from? Um, I think UDLs, to be fair. <laughs> so back, back when, do you remember UDLs? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Back when we were younger, uh, I think my sister-in-law had gin and bitter lemon. And I oh. love bitter lemon, the little soft drink. Yes. So I just had one. I thought, oh, this is delightful. And now I just, yeah. Just and it probably just summer. tasted like bitter lemon. That's right, yeah. But then gin and tonic now is, yes. I'm, a, I'm a purist, we'll call it. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Where did you discover your love? Uh, well, my mother-in-law, a couple of years ago, jumped on the gin bandwagon oh, yeah. and created a company that's about marketing boutique gin brands. Okay. And the amazed by the number of boutique gin distillers there are in Australia. So she started uh, a f- festival, amazingly Albert, they're called the Juniper Events, <laughs> her gin festivals. Yeah. Uh, and so it ha- runs over a weekend. You attend a session for three hours, pay $70 a ticket to attend, mm-hmm. and in those three hours, everything is free. All of the GNT oh, wow. is free. So awesome. you can think about how much alcohol you can drink in three hours. People found that really attractive. So now they run 11 of them a mm-hmm. year. So mm-hmm. there are two in Sydney, one in Canberra, one in Melbourne, Tasmania. Next year, they're going to New Zealand for the first time. And so we have the Perth one coming up okay. in a fortnight. Ooh. So on... Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, there are two sessions each day. There'll be 900 people in the uh, Robinson Pavilion at Claremont Showgrounds each session, and we have 50 boutique distillers who each have their own stand talking about the difference between the gin that they make and every other gin. So it has become this mastery of um, some people come from a winemaking background, come, some people come from a whiskey making background, so they've brought some of those things with them. Mm-hmm. Um, some people travel the world and find out how, it's, how gin is made in other countries and bring that back with them. So what I've learned is that gin is quite this interesting thing, and then on top of the gin, it's the way that they serve it. So the number of tonics, whether they're flavoured tonics or classic tonics, and then all the botanicals as they call them, whether they're putting oh, okay, yeah. the botanicals in the distilling process, and or they put them into the way that you serve the drink. So I've learned that there's just this endless array of how to drink gin. I think I, I can easily say I was an OG gin person, so I started before it got popular. Yes. I introduced many of my family members and friends to it. Mm-hmm. And there was only like, you know, Gordon's, Tanqueray, yep. Bombay Sapphire, yep. um, maybe two or three others that I can remember going to the bottle shop and being able to get. Yeah. And now it's a whole section it's like amazing, you said with all it? the different aromats and things that are in there yeah so i stumbled across cucumber at a pub one night mm. i asked for gin and tonic and the person put cucumber in there and i was outraged i was like what is this i want lime and then i had it i was like "Ooh, but thank you it's quite <laughs> it's quite lovely and have you tried soda as against tonic or a mixture of soda and tonic have you had no, that conversation no. oh dear bartenders will chew your ear about that oh, really? one so they'll say people who really know how to drink gin and tonic don't drink gin and tonic they drink gin tonic and soda water because it adds it does something to the tonic and it's so okay. there's all these things to learn oh geez looks like i'm getting drunk tonight just experimenting yeah, just trying <laughs> lots of those Ben had a couple of cool topics to talk about. Oh, did I? So are you keen to... Fire away. And I had a question about if you think you could get away with murder. Because Nicole watches all these, and maybe Domenica, and maybe it's... She loves her crime. I think it's like maybe a female thing, like 
getting away with murder. So they're all pl- you're all plotting to get like kill their partners. Maybe no, no she doesn't watch that. Oh no, I think, <laughs> no, she watches more of the crime. Someone's died in a small town. Who did it? Yeah, but she's sitting there taking notes like Nicole, like make sure you dig deeper <laughs> than six foot. <laughs> Things like that. No, I think that's a unique problem. That's okay, too. right? Okay. But um, I, I love a good crime mystery. Yeah. I yeah. thought about this, and first of all, I wouldn't kill someone. But unless, what if you, you know, accidentally like self-defense? So what if you accidentally kill someone and no probably, one's around? I'll probably own up and say would accidentally, because then I think you get off. We, if you're manslaughter, maybe right? If it's accidental, careless, or you're being careless or something, and you've killed somebody, uh, my conscience would get the better. I'd, I would probably own up to it and say this has happened. Right, well, hypothetically, Albert. Oh, so you haven't really thought about it then? Not massively. No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you? Yeah, uh, not yeah, heaps. No, not really. But again, like just if there's no body, there's no, no murder, right? That's one thing I've learned. <laughs> no body, no murder. But today, like with all the CCT footage and things like that, that we saw yeah. with that uh, Hunted TV show. Did you watch that on mm-hmm. telly where you, they dropped a bunch of random people off and they had to escape being captured? I just feel like it's too hard with the DNA that you can leave around. So unless you really did premeditate it and you thought about every step of the way and retracing your steps and things, but like just manslaughter or accidental murder, I don't think I could get away with it. Some, something would slip up and get captured. Yeah. Do you have any strategies would you employ if you accidentally... I can't say I've put my brain to this before, but I'm trying to. I'm thinking about what you're saying. So I'm thinking, okay, so for CCTV reasons, mm. you'd really want to not move the body from wherever it was. Okay. So let's say someone died, whether you meant to or not, someone died within your house. But would you then, I don't know, if you've got a bathtub, would you try an acid... Well, the bathtub the doesn't work, so that, that was... I've got Breaking bad, right? Yeah. Oh, right. I'm yeah. trying to think of that scene, yeah. Yeah, where it melted through the ceramics. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's so. right. So, yeah, that's we all, we spoke about cannibalism a few episodes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm just thinking about this now. Situation, let's say I'm in a country. You've killed me right now. I'm in a country where they've got a warlord mm-hmm. who tries to kill me, mm-hmm. and I have to defend myself. Okay. And I have to kill this warlord. Say he's the president of the country, a warlord. And I would then think, okay, I have to get rid of him because there's no way I'm going to get out of the country. I can't own up mm-hmm. to this, even if it's self-defense. So then I think it'd be the bush. Yeah? Yeah. Just taking the boat over, you know, like the moving of the body, like you said, trying to conceal the movement. How and much CCTV is there real, like, I'm thinking here, an African warlord has tried to kill me here in the courtyard. Yeah. Oh, we're not I've even talking about like right now we've just had a disagreement you've clocked me over the head with like a watermelon or something i'm dead and now you've got to like drag my body into the back of the corolla and then to, to be honest i would say i would make up a story that i was defending myself against you would lie so okay the yeah. conscious thing is a little bit yeah so it's, you try and avoid making it a crime in the first place good yes. strategy yeah, okay. sensible. Yeah, okay. so but where, where if we then try and work on the all right that's not working for whatever reason like you're saying it's a corrupt criminal it's a corrupt system warlord, and they're going to come or and it's get a gangster you. it's a gangster and you know say it's a some mafia person who's trying to attack thing you for a crocodile farm i think that would be really handy even if it was a decent driveway like you could pretend you're going camping go somewhere there's a crocodile farm and just tempt a couple of crocodiles throw the body in yeah no one's finding that I think, as long as they're hungry, which, you know, they usually are. Usually so are. great white sharks could yeah. be helpful. Could Disposal, be helpful. just oh, go yeah. out of a yeah. boat. Yeah, true. In the hope that... Shorter drive as well. Yeah, true. Um, then you wouldn't be able to A bit harder in the ocean to make sure you found a shark because you yeah. wouldn't want the body floating back into shore. You could put a, book a hot air ballooning trip <laughs> and then have... 
that person for <laughs> yeah. it. But then, no, then they do an autopsy and they'd say, well, actually, they were dead before they do hit reckon the they ground. Do they do an autopsy for that if they've plummeted 200 metres to the ground? Like, an insurance company would step yeah. in and say, we're really concerned about how that happened. There can't be any de- decomposition yeah, because, you know, it can't be like a month old corpse on the ground. So it'd be something that would sus be just, there. That would be hard if, the, if we're going down the accidental death. So you've done no pre-planning and suddenly you've got a body and you're thinking every minute this body is decomposing, the clock yeah. is on and somebody's working out this body's been sitting somewhere. Yeah. You can barely make enough ice, let alone freeze a body. <laughs> I can't. I could freeze <laughs> I could so, save, yeah. but... We'd struggle. Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, what else do we have? Do we have a... May, maybe something on the lighter side. What great you go? So... What annoys you? What are like things that just happen to annoy you? Um, Punctuation. Yeah? Punctuation. Punctuation. Done poorly. Annoys me. One of my favourite. Apostrophes. Apostrophes. It's amazing. It's tough though. Getting an apostrophe in the right place around an S. It it just isn't that hard. Ah, But clearly it is. You would say it's not rocket science, but I think it's up there with nuclear, (laughs) I don't know, chemistry or something. And the fact that people who write signs for a living don't, oh, okay. don't get it. have a skill in yeah. punctuation. Yeah. It drives me insane. So in this era of text messaging where language is devolving into um, acronyms mm. and so on, punctuation is becoming less and less relevant. Mm. But even so, it drives me insane. Which is, I'm terrible. I've got this. Are you really? Oh, yeah. But but you, so do you know you're terrible? Oh, absolutely. I know do you do anything about right. that? <laughs> yeah, I wait for the little red underline or the little blue underline to say, check your grammar. <laughs> that's good. And yeah. then it's on every single word. That. Pardon? It's on every single word. Pretty much, yeah, that's right. Mine is Americanisms. Oh, oh really? So I think everyone's guilty of it, especially now with, you know, so much streaming and Netflix and Stan and you're watching so many American TV shows, but just. The way people say words these days, like you hear people say semi, mm-hmm. things like that, that really, oh, really annoys me. And even you in a podcast. Semi? You said I'll go to the shops and get a, a flashlight. A f- <gasps> no, no. You did. There's a podcast. A flash- no, flashlight. No. It's not what I said. No, no. no. I swear, it was a fla- this was about a month ago. Yeah, but I wasn't talking about a flashlight. I was talking about something else. You were talking about a flashlight or a flashlight? A flashlight. I swear I should I be talking about this in the presence of a lady. Flashlight. A- anyway. No, I would never say flashlight. Um, it's Americanisms. Mm. Yeah, torch. You hear people word. say semi or what are so some other examples? How do you pronounce the semi. word that is spelt N E W S? News. Ben? I would say news as well. Okay, that's great because you both said news, news. as against oh, news. news. Oh, okay. Oh. New, news, yeah. the American way of saying news. news. Most songs these days have words pronounced in a way that's an American yeah. saying to them. So without realising it, people get used to saying things like news instead of news, yeah. which is an Australian. And I've heard that as well, it. people saying, um, yeah, new, or like Newcastle. I hear people saying, now say new, Newcastle. Newcastle. New, yeah, Newcastle. And Newcastle's yeah. right, isn't it? It's yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, new, it's a new. Yeah. But I've heard people, yeah, exactly the new the thing. The new, um, it's yeah. new instead of new. Dual. Like I hear people saying dual now. Dual. Yeah. Dual. Really? Yeah. Weird. Okay. That's but the weird. semi's really good. Um, the semi gets me a little bit, but this exactly what you said, the new and new thing mm. does annoy me as well. Yeah. It seems to be more and more. Mm. You hear it more and more. Oh man, I'm gonna practice so hard on my Americanisms for next week's podcast. Yeah. Doo yeah. doo's a funny one too. What? People who say doo doo and they don't realise it because <laughs> and you'll pick up on it quite a lot now that maybe I've mentioned it. Doo doo. Yeah, because you know, as you just said, people say I do do that and 
do do because I'm a child. I do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so now it's, I mentioned it to somebody at work and every time someone at work now says it, she's like, God damn it. I can't stop thinking about do do really? now. Yeah. That yeah. Really in my a head. child, but yeah. yeah. And you'll probably pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Even you have people high up in organizations, they say it and you just have a little snicker because I'm a child. <laughs> so what grades you got? Nothing. Sure, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty you've zen. Got book, you've got a nod. Yeah, yeah, no. One thing I thought about is when people are on trains or even walking and they've got a speaker and they're listening to music. Oh, dear. Have you experienced that? Yeah. No. Yes. On the train is... Or is, even if they're on their bike. Yep, on their bike. So they've got the a Bluetooth company. speaker and they're playing audible music just so everybody can hear That's they're listening rude. to shit. That, that really grates my goat. <laughs> Very much so. Wow. Mm. I mean, in the old radio days, which is, you know, my era, if I think about it, if I'm gardening in my backyard, I will have the radio on. And I do think sometimes my poor neighbours are having to listen to my style of music. But then I think, well, this is my backyard. And, you know, some days you'll play your music in yep. your backyard. But I would not walk out onto the pavement. You know, if I was walking around a shop, yep. I would not have my music blaring out where other people had to listen to it. It just seems it's annoying. <gasps> and and now that you say that, thinking about people when they're taking a phone call and they put on speakerphone. Oh. Yeah. yeah, in public, okay. and they, yeah, and they walk around with their phone at the far end of their arm instead yeah. of at least somewhat close to their face. I <laughs> yeah. Don't know what is that trying to save them from the electricity that's coming from the phone. Oh, or something. Yeah, I lived Five in a two. little townhouse in Richmond, in Melbourne, when I was living there. It was in a little cul-de-sac, really cool street. And on a Sunday morning, I love a Sunday sleep in. On a Sunday morning, the neighbour at the end of the cul-de-sac would play Andre Bocelli or something, some beautiful music. So I used to open my veranda uh, yeah. doors on a Saturday night and wait till I'm been on a Sunday morning and think, oh, I wonder what they're gonna play. And I reckon the whole cul-de-sac was just quiet apart from this guy's music. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. And he was playing at a level where he was obviously quite aware that the whole street could hear it. So, but somehow that's, I don't know, that's okay. It's, it's I, I just can't understand how people would do that in an environment of, Trains or bikes or footpaths. It's interesting you say that. That's sort of one of the simple things that you enjoyed. Mm. That was also one of the the simple simple things in life that you enjoy. Yeah. My garden. Your garden. I love my garden. So I sit at my table like this. I have organised my family room so that when I sit at my table, I'm looking at my garden. Mm -hmm. And I sit and I do my crossword puzzles, which I love. I'm um, doing a crypto crossword every day and a kukuru and you know things that cause my brain to do some work and I just love we, we live in the best place in the world other than Switzerland of course which is equally as fabulous <laughs> but we really do we live in a beautiful place and do the mean, fact that you can do you mean Wembley Downs? you're not talking Perth. about outside of Stirling not I've got a nice park across the road full of trolleys and crows and cr- oh, that grates my goat crows? <laughs> Yes. The noise of them? <laughs> yeah. The My mother feeds crows. Top, really. She says it's not fair that they were born to look. People think that because crows are ugly that they're evil. And she said it's not fair. They're just lovely like all the other birds. Mm. She goes out of her way to feed crows and magpies. Okay. Oh, you're lucky, you're lucky you don't live next to her. Yeah, there'd be lots. At four o'clock in the morning. I've, spoke, I've said this many times on the podcast. The sound that they make is just offensive to my ears. And it's so loud. And why they do it at four o'clock in the morning... I can, I can just imagine you getting up in the middle of the night, 
Yeah, with your long pajamas on and your long pajamas, hopping in your slippers, opening, opening in, uh, opening the door, going out, grabbing the newspaper and just hitting it on the balcony, yeah. just trying to scare these crows away like an old man. You're pretty close. <laughs> you no. just see it. No, anything wakes me up though because I've got like a downpipe that, for some, in Drips. somebody's divine wisdom, they decided let's put a ninety degree angle, <gasps> and it drip like that, and that's constant as well. So it just keeps I me. I think you should change that. Should we pro- try the gin with lemon? Uh, sorry, lime. lime. And should we do? Are you going to eat the cucumber? Uh, no, the blend. Oh yeah, what do you want to blend? Are you going to eat the cucumber? No, I don't usually actually. That's interesting. You were so resolute then, Albert. No. No. No, because you don't like cucumber. Did you? Manage? I think cucumber's okay in a salad. Mm. So we're back. What do you think of lime versus cucumber? Before trying this, I would assume the lime is maybe a bit better, but could be too much flavour. I think. That is beautiful. I think I like the cucumber more. I don't know. Isn't that interesting? I think I like the cucumber more. I like the crispness of that. Yeah. The lime. The cucumber There's, smells better. There is more gin in this one though, this mix. Uh, I shouldn't have been. Maybe there's less uh, tonic, perhaps. So what's your? Preference? I think I go the cucumber. Go the cucumber. Yeah, I'm not surprised, Albert. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you're not a huge cucumber fan. Not really, no. No. It's interesting. You just have a very delicate palate. <gasps> All I can smell is Vegemite coming yeah, out of this So with our blend, can you drink it today? We have a Vegemite smoothie. Wow. So what we have here is Vegemite. We have some oats. Mm-hmm. We have some milk of the lactose-free variety. Is that milk then? And we have a banana. Good question. Oh, okay. The banana was good. You threw the banana so in. So let's see. I'm thinking this will be good. I'm thinking it's not going to be. Well, they're all edible. <laughs> it's not the worst thing I've ever had. It is drinkable. That is about the worst one. Worse than the pie. What was the pie? We did a meat pie, tomato sauce, and a can of beer and blended it. And that was better than this, I think. No chance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I do like Vegemite. I don't like Vegemite. That's growing on me. See, the Vegemite's really just adding stock and salt, isn't it? So it's... The banana's good. Mm. Milk's good. That's not bad. That really grates my goat out. I think that's an interesting question, is whether you can call it milk if it's lactose. If it's lactose. There's a whole generation of things that are now called milk that Uh, really aren't, are there? That also grates my goat. (laughs) Because if Webster's Dictionary defines milk as like from a... The breast of a mammal, right? <laughs> not, not the crushing a seed. <laughs> yes. Our last segment, I guess, is guess the movie. Or would you want to do a Would You Rather first? Oh yeah, we'll do a Would You Rather, and then we'll do. Guess I've got two, movie. but okay. uh, yeah, we get we'll get through these pretty quick. PG thirteen for this episode. Okay, can I just jump in now with yeah. another thing that I hate? There's mm-hmm. an Americanism. Australians say quickly. Americans say quick. We'll just get into this quick now. In the way that I was raised, of classic English, that is not an appropriate word. So to do something quick, as against to do something quickly, I bet that's an Americanism that you haven't noticed, you probably do as well. It's a very common thing now, in formal conversation, to say, let's just jump into that real quick. Which is an American thing. Think of that with an accent. Let's just jump into that did real quick. Did I just quick. say, what did I you say? Bend quick. Quick. Yeah. You just said, it's, we'll do this real quick. We'll do this real quick. It's I feel, clearly, I feel like it's clearly quick real though. makes it better though. Because that's the Americanism. Really? That is the, so um, it's a sports commentary kind of a slang. Let's just get into this real quick. 
Well, yeah. I am like a sports comedy. Comedy whereas comedy. it's let's do this really quickly. Okay. Is, is the yes. English or the Australian way to say it is really quickly, but that's the Americanisms coming in. Yeah. And it's in sports commentary everywhere. And because sports commentary is such a leader of language, it's now in popular language. So there are so many words now yeah. that we don't add the final syllable to because that's the yeah. American way of saying it. I just no. wish we could talk in um, memes and GIFs, or GIFs, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but say GIF. we have entire conversations at work on WebEx almost just with memes and <laughs> GIFs, and I just can't wait for that to replace traditional language. We'll go back to like the Egyptians with the hieroglyphs, yes. but yes. just memes I think is, anyway, so we'll, real quick, we'll just jump, no. <laughs> so, um, would you rather constantly have stones in your shoes or random bouts of crying onion eyes? Stones in my shoes. Stones in your shoes. Yeah. Yeah. That would annoy me so much. Yeah, I think I'd have to go the onions. Just constant stones in your shoes. Every time you put on a pair of shoes, you've just got constant. Pebbles. You could deal with that. Yeah, because I've dealt with it really? before. Have you? I've just been too lazy to take them every day. Yeah. No. What about sand in your between your toes and mm. wearing socks? Does that annoy you? That never really happens. Pebbles in my shoes. That, that grinds my gears. Sand in my toes reminds me of great days at the beach. So now I'd be like, oh no, that's quite pleasant. Not, yeah, just, onionizer? Yeah, just onionizer random. Onionizer's not fun, but random. It was the yeah. random that got me. Yeah. Neither one of those is something I'd wish on myself, but one's random and the other's constant. I'm having the random. Random onionize, yeah. No. I think if you so said too. constant onion eyes versus random oh, yeah, thought, stones in your shoe, yeah. I would have gone random stones in your shoe. I did think about putting constant yeah. crying onion eyes, but uh, yeah. that would have been too much, a bridge too far. Die from I imagine that. I'd still go to pebbles. Still pebbles? Yeah, stones. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go for the random. Mm. Mm. Probably yeah. pebbles because they're smoother. <laughs> you want uh, river rocks? Yeah. Just beautiful. Just tough. You're tough. Yeah. You'd put up with that. Okay. I'll I'll imagine it. Did you do the No one's drinking their Vegemite smoothie. This one I, I discussed with the people at work this week. And would you rather do something terrible and be remembered forever or do something great and be forgotten? Oh, that's easy. And do the great and be forgotten. Would you? Yeah. Great and be forgotten. That would be terrible. So what did your people at, the people at your work, which way did they go with that one? It was sort of 50-50 because we were just joking around. But um, yeah, it was, it was a half of 50-50. Lorenzo, I think, said something terrible. Like yeah. a, be like a dictator or something like that. Ah, yeah. Powerful, terrible. Yeah. Okay. But I think that it is great because a degree of the greatness comes from the lack of acknowledgement. Yeah, it's true. So no, the, the humbleness of it adds yeah. to its greatness. So it's the true. terrific thing is that the person doing it, hopefully, is unconcerned about whether it's great or it's not. They're just doing good. Mm-hmm. Wow. Whereas and the people who do terrible, yeah. <laughs> they're, out, they're going out of their way, typically. If you think about the people who do terrible things, they're aiming to do terrible yeah. things and something... they want the kudos. What if it's something taken? accidental, like you, you're walking past and you trip over like a stick, but that stick was holding back a dam and it just floods and takes that whole village and you didn't mean to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone remembers that. <laughs> Awful. Yeah, would be. God. For the rest of your life, ben, you'd be trying to bloody live that ben dam. Bloody Ben did that dam. And all, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. 8,000 people died, and everyone yeah. remembers me for it now. Yeah. But there are examples of that, aren't they? Yeah. They're just they're heartbreaking. You feel yeah. for that person that, oh, and they must think, if only, if only I had not 
stepped in that direction or my morning had been slightly different, I just would have gone on for the rest of my That's life right. being an anonymous person. And now I'm known for the rest of my life as the person who did that. Oh, that gone horrible, the terrible thing. <laughs> yeah, that would not be fun. Should we do the movies and then? Yeah, we'll do the movies. I'm terrible at movies. Shall I just... Are you uh, playing... Worry, I'm very bad as well. Are you playing the game? Are you playing the game that Darren showed me in the app of... Um, so there is a, an app game where they show you a picture from a movie mm-hmm. and you try and guess what oh, the movie cool. is. That's quite and good. then they show you a second picture. So I think it's five in total and each mo- each picture is becoming a little bit more obvious. Okay. So uh, if you get it at the first picture, you're a very clever person. And then if you get it by the fifth picture, yeah. you should hopefully be able to get it. I couldn't get it anyway. It's an app, app from the yeah, it's a game. app store. Oh, sweet. I'll, I'll find, find out, out the name of it and I'll let you know. But um, yeah. connected you to Albert's S21 and Albert's S21. Why are we both connected? Wow. This never happens. This is a miracle. What are oh, the rules here? So the rule is just let it... It's about 10 seconds long. Yep. And don't answer until the clip finishes. Mm-hmm. So that allows some of the listeners to and play as well. you have to name the movie. Name yes. the movie. And That's you it. can... I can play it again. Okay. And the last thing I'd ever do is lie to you. And the last thing that I would ever do is lie to you. So this one, do you want any tips or hints? Are they two different voices? They are. Sounds like someone is feeding information to someone else to say the right thing in a conversation. Exactly. Oh, that's good thing. I have no idea what the movie is, but you know, I'm trying to imagine that scenario. What movie is it? No. Do you know? No, it sounds like an old movie from the sound of the way I would have said the date doctor or something. <laughs> the, this movie had was hard to get a good clip because they kept mentioning a certain name so often in the movie. Which you don't realise when you're watching it. Oh. So to give you another tip, it's one of my favourite movies. I don't it's know if that karate, helps. That's not from The Karate Kid, is it? That is uh, The Karate Kid. Yeah, no, it's not. It's... Is that one of your favourite movies? The Karate Kid is. The original? Yeah. yeah. Um, not, the, not the remake. No, the not, original. Not the remake. Good. All right, let's see a tip. This person... So what you heard, he's saying it to a... Younger a, person. There's an older person voice first. Saying it to a younger person. person who's then saying it to his best friend who is very well known as a comedian. It's not old school. No, I so I, 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 the movie features Jim Carrey. I don't know. What? Oh, The Truman Show. Yeah. Okay, I only know that's because it's one of your favourite oh. movies. Yeah. So we are in The Truman Show. So that's where he started to find out that something's odd. Yes. Yeah. That what world is he in? Yes. And that's yeah. where then his mate comes and brings us some beer and goes, you know, talks to me and goes, if I was in on it, you know. Yeah. Like if there was something happening, then I would have to would be on it, so I wouldn't lie to you. So then you've got is it Ed Harris, the producer, yeah. saying to him through his earphones, you know. Oh, he's giving direction. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you remember that in the movie? Uh, I've only seen it a couple of times. Oh, and wow. the hard thing was when I was watching best scenes, they kept saying the word Truman. Right. Yes, they would. So right. they're saying, um, even in that, hey Truman, hi Truman. Yeah. yeah. So then I was like, oh, I can't believe it. But also, his Truman. voice is so distinctive normally, whereas that... But even he says Truman... Quite often, I was just trying to find a scene where it was I think people remember because that's sort of the tipping point where yeah. he's pretty sure something's 
happening quite odd, but then his mate's trying to say, no, no, this is all fine, but he still doesn't. So are you keeping score? Like, so Albert wins no, ben, because Albert came up with a movie that Ben couldn't get. Ben's winning. Okay. Isn't he? I'll be I think I think my <gasps> first one you is just said Ben. Ben? Trash paper. You just said, I've been. Waste paper basket. Bin is an Americanism. Been. It has two oh, letters in the middle of it. Been. I've been really bad. Now that I know that you don't like Americanisms, I'm going to pull you up on them. I think everyone gets been. this one. I've been. I've been. I've been good. I've been bad. I've been all over Australia. I've been. You just said been. Been, yeah. been, been. Bean. We all do. Yeah, it's just, but that is bean. one of those things that's crept in. Bean. Oh, I thought you said I was saying Ben as, a, as if I was a Kiwi. Hey, get, ben. Get even. Get even. Yeah. Get even. There we go. But he in love with anybody else. That's Robin Williams. It is. Is that Mrs. Doubtfire? No. Okay, let me think again. Is this um, Good Morning Vietnam? It's such a good pick that that was Robin Williams. I did not get that. Is this Good Morning Vietnam? No. No. Ah, damn. Can we play it again now, please? Yeah, okay. Another another go. Hopefully the quality is... It was a bit fuzzy, wasn't it? It's an animated movie. That helps. I didn't think that. Yeah, I know. Aladdin. It's Aladdin, yes. Oh, very good. Sorry, I you said won the rules. twice. I said the rules and then I <laughs> interrupted like halfway through. Right. Okay, my next one? Yep. That's cool, baby. I mean, you know how it is. Rocking and rolling and whatnot. Danny? <laughs> That's my name. Don't wear it out. What's the matter with you? <laughs> What's the matter with me, baby? What's the matter with you? That's so cool. So topical. Grace. Of course. Yeah. And we knew that even before she said Danny. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's just a classic. Have you seen Grease to Movie? I don't think so. You better watch it before they ban it. I'm really bad with movies too. That's a beauty. That was me again. No, it's me. I'll do my my second one. This might be a bit more challenging. Okay. More challenging? Yeah. Hopefully it's not so bassy though. Now come along, you lot. We need all the help we can get. It's a very old movie. Yes, it's um the Disney movie, isn't it? It's, it's a Disney um, movie. Yep. What's her face? The, the Murder She Wrote? No. Is it, is it no, Mary Poppins? It, yes. No, no. It's one of those, isn't it? It's it's oh, in that the the murder she wrote. The murder woman. she wrote. Ladies in it, Angela Lansbury. Yes, thank you. And she is the grandmother in. Would you the... like to play it again? Yes, please. I'm trying so, to think of the name of it. This is a good movie. I love watching it as a kid. Come on, you We need all the help we can get. I can't tell you the name of it. Um, it's it's Red like Knives and Broomsticks. Yes, there we go. It is. Popped into my brain. Well done. That's such. A, that's one of my favourite kids' movies. It's a beautiful movie. Yes. Bed knobs and broomsticks. There's another one for your watching list. If you've got Disney Plus. Yeah. Mm. If you don't, I have it on DVD. Okay. 
You don't have a DVD player. Okay. I have it on VHS, do you? No. So this next one, I think it'll be difficult for you to get. I'll just spoil oh, really? it really. there. Okay. But we'll see. This time tomorrow, we're all going to be five inches deep in some buns, son. Ba-bam. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> More like three inches deep for Barry, you deformed nerd. Hi, <laughs> Troy. Yeah, no. No idea. I don't think we'll get this for sure. Oh, I don't know. I feel like it's a movie that I've seen. <laughs> so I picked two movies which I thought you would know, and I thought I'd just put in a more comedy, more recent one mm. that Ben would know. No. Wow, you've really let me down. I'm sleeping, Albert. Sausage party. I'm now oh, thinking that I've seen a clip really? for it when they're all in the supermarket. Is that yeah. when all the products are actually coming yeah. to life and they're doing yeah. that? We're going to be knee deep in buns because yeah. they're sausages. They're did hot you, dogs. Did you like that movie? Yeah. Good one. You stumped me twice. Yeah, and you guessed yours. Yeah. So. I, I don't like what's happening here. <laughs> Am I becoming smarter? No. I'm becoming dumber as well, likely in the answer. <laughs> Alright. But 18 episodes in. Thanks, Narelle. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks so good to have again. you here. It was really fun. Still got more stuff to talk to you about, so oh, I'll have to have you on again. Another episode 25 or 30. But I'm looking forward to Ben's review of the gin event. And thanks for the Vegemite smoothie that will go down in my memory. Is do you want me to WhatsApp you the ingredients so you can do it yourself? Thanks, but no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, next cool. week. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone. See you next week. If you die, can I have your car? Sweet. Ah! Curious ramblings. <laughs> hey,